0: Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves.
1: back for part two of our conversation about Rasputin in our last episode Bree, help me out here I didn't actually write anything down about what happened on our last episode I'm just going to do this from yeah what we just talked yeah. about uh so Rasputin heard some birds having sex and decided that sex was not sinful after all and then he met some ladies in a in a pond and uh and then he had a spiritual awakening by having sex with them I believe it, I believe it yeah. was a
0: river but yes yes
1: Oh, a river. Okay, right. That's cleaner. It's cleaner. Uh, c- cleaner than bathing in a pond. Uh, he well, he was born. We missed that he was born. Oh, yeah. And he may or may not have stolen a horse. He's got a relationship with the Virgin uh, of Kazan, with the Holy Mother. Yeah. Uh, Mary comes to him, speaks to him, heals him sometimes, uh, but he's falling in and out of spiritual uh, connection right. with Mary and with God. And he drinks heavy, and he, he, as we're saying, he gets in these sexual escapades. But the, the sex, he seems to have made some peace with, but maybe not, because his wife says this is his burden to bear. His
0: wife, Praskovia, she's a champ. She's a true trooper. She's a champ.
1: Yeah. Uh, they've got three children, three, three children who survive together. And uh, Rasputin, when we left off, was just getting in to the court of the Romanovs uh, and is going to become the healer for the Tsaritsa Alexandra's uh, sick, uh, ailing, perhaps hemophilic, well, also Nicholas II's son, Alexei, who is the heir to the Romanov throne. Well, the would-be heir. Mm-hmm. I'm not giving anything away when I tell you that that's not going to work out for anybody.
0: Yeah, no, nothing works out for anybody here.
1: <laughs> may Maybe Rasputin's fault. All right, uh, so uh, let's let's carry on here then. Ooh. Rasputin brought his daughter Maria back to St. Petersburg from Siberia, uh, and I'm noting that because, uh, to say again, we uh, some, one of our sources is Maria Rasputin's book, uh, one of her several books about her father. Um, one of the Tsaritsa's ladies-in-waiting, Anna Alexandrovna, helped Rasputin and his daughter to attain their own lodging. Around this period, Rasputin began to fall into disrepute uh, among the high officials of the Russian government and the Orthodox Church. Peter Stolypin, the prime minister, was concerned that Rasputin's eccentricities brought shame to the Tsar and Tsaritsa through their association. He asked that a dossier be assembled showing that Rasputin was not truly Orthodox, but a sectarian. And then he issued a decree banning Rasputin from the capital for five years. So... We talked at the end of the last episode about the sort of conspiracies, conspiracizing going on around Nicholas II. Um, that in- absolutely includes Rasputin, and the people who think Rasputin is a liability are trying to boot him out, get him out from around the Tsar. Right. So Rasputin caught wind uh, of Stolypin's uh, conniving, uh, wind of the decree, and he managed to escape. Uh, Stolypin's henchmen uh, before they could serve it to him. He rushed from a train into a waiting car and hid at a private house. (laughs) The, The police posted up outside the house, but he snuck past them and went back home to Siberia. Rather than send the order to Siberia, Stolypin gave up and destroyed it. But Rasputin wasn't out of hot water just yet. In 1909, he was accused of raping one of his followers Kionaya Berlatskaya. Kionaya Berlatskaya. Uh, And the governess uh, for the Tsar's children said he often visited them while they were in their nightclothes, even though they were... uh, Though the oldest of those children uh, was only 15 uh, and 13. So creepy. Little creepy Rasputin.
0: Wait, whose children is it they're talking about?
1: This is the Tsar's children.
0: Okay, I... Everything that I read was like they were basically like his children to him. So I don't know if no. it was a creepy thing or if well, it was a him a being a... Uh, yeah. Like Because he was constantly there for them, for the family, like in a wholesome way from everything that I read.
1: <laughs> but he was also accused of raping one of his followers.
0: So yeah.
1: <laughs> complex, yeah. complex man. The Tsarevich's nursemaid claimed he'd sexually assaulted her. Oh, let's throw that in oh, there too. Oh. And the Moscow News labeled him a spiritual fake. So my man is not his reputation at the time is as muddy as it is today, I think. Yeah. That's that's never changed. Yeah. His former friends in the church began to turn against him. They conspired with the Finnish ballerina Lisa Tansin. She invited him to a party at her house. She got him drunk, stripped off his clothes, and then the conspirators photographed him with prostitutes. Rather than wait for his enemies to show the Tsar, he brought the photographs himself to the Tsar. Yeah. (laughs) And Nicholas forgave him and told him to take a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, which he did. In fact, (laughs) he wrote a whole travelogue about the experience. Isn't that
0: delightful? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. My man makes lemonade, right? Yeah. While on pilgrimage, Rasputin fell into a depression and was struck by a terrible fever, prompting an out-of-body experience. Finally, he met yet another vision of the Virgin Mary, and his fever broke. This, he believed, was a sign that he should return to his mission, and that God had forgiven him. Rasputin returned to the city, but the prime minister Kokovtsov yeah. Kokovtsov yeah felt I feel all right Kokotsov yeah. Kukotsov believed Rasputin <laughs> was a bad influence and attempted to bribe him to leave. So now the Prime Minister is like showering him with rubles to try to get him out of the city. Unwilling to further upset the government and his cabinet, Nicholas sent Rasputin home to Siberia. While he was away, the Tsarevich Alexei hurt himself and suffered a near-fatal bleeding spell. Rasputin telegrammed that everything would be all right. And Alexei recovered. Impressed yet again by Rasputin's power, the royal family sent for him to return this is another pattern right every time he gets in hot water with the Tsar Alexei gets sick and Rasputin says or does something that makes them believe he is responsible for Alexei's health
0: yeah I uh, I have such a hard time with this because it's like they just desperately wanted to save their kid and rulers unfortunately don't have that luxury
1: yeah a lot of pressure on that situation Nicholas and Alexandra seemed inclined to forgive Rasputin all of his faults. They prized unpretentious lower-class men. So they actually liked the unpretentious lower-class religious figures. Oh, uh, yeah. Because they believed they approached God as ordinary believers. Mm -hmm. And Rasputin actually helped to promote men like himself from his position of authority and influence with the Romanovs. But the Orthodox authorities continued to attack him. So I'm going to guess all of this rubbed them the wrong way. Like the learned priests and monks and the guys in the hierarchy were not thrilled with Rasputin and the the Starets promoting all these other guys like him.
0: Yeah, no, they were like, "Ah, we got our books. You can keep your, um, honestly, a bit... oh why can't i think of the why can't i think of words what is happening every time we do (laughs) i just forget all of my vocabulary uh it's like they they don't want the i wouldn't they're anti-intellectual the yeah and he's more open i guess like it's it's not as critical of the the self you know
1: well, in a way, it's like that old, you know, American idea that, that a medium is more believable if she's young and female and theoretically uneducated. The more educated right. you are, the more likely you are to, you know, be fooling people right. with your supposed revelations and knowledge and ability. Uh, that that uneducated person is, is more blank, open, and honest. I mean, that's a ridiculous yes, assumption. But
0: it's an <laughs> assumption that can be made at a glance if you're not really thinking about the prompt. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it's a little condescending, really, on the part of people who are, you know, highly educated. Right. But that gets him in the end. The monk Iliador and the bishop Hermogen, both of whom... Here we go. Here's the story. (laughs) Both of whom Rasputin had helped to moderate uh, on behalf of the Tsar when their religious radicalism threatened to alienate the public, turned against him. So this was the thing. Nicholas was like, you know, these guys are are important guys, And, and Nicholas says, Rasputin, man... These guys are getting a little, you know, crazy about their politics. Can can you sort of even out the rough edges here? So Rasputin steps in, does a bit of this with these men, and you know, smooths the relationship with Nicholas. Um But then they decide that he's too powerful, or he's too funky, or whatever, and and they're gonna try to get rid of him.
0: Right, and with Ilyodor specifically they didn't agree on certain things so of course they had different opinions on sex i imagine many people did at that time just in general but especially within um a sort of quote-unquote priest type of type of place but also they disagreed greatly the worst part was that they disagreed on what the worst sin was uh uh um believed that it was the first commandment, but uh, Rasputin believed it was hi- hypocrisy. So they really <laughs> didn't uh, get along on that. Cause, uh, and they had, what is
1: the first commandment?
0: I don't remember. I didn't put that in oh, my notes. I'm gonna,
1: let me look that up. The first commandment. People are shouting this at their iPhones or radios in their cars first commandment, thou shalt have no gods before me. Okay, so ah.
0: that that explains why they really didn't get along because there's Putin, it's like, well, he probably thought that in it of itself was greatly hypocritical of Iliador specifically um, but they had so much so many arguments about them and it like it just was made an unfixable rift and the people that wanted Rasputin gone was able. This happened with many people. So the people that actively in the government didn't want resputing around were like, well, "Let's talk to these people and see if we can root them out through these means." Type of thing is what it seems like.
1: Well, here's a fun dinner conversation for you: uh, Is "Thou shalt have no god before me" or hypocrisy worse? Which one is worse? Um, hypocrisy. Having a god before God, or yeah, I, <laughs> I personally am really, really miffed at hypocrisy. Yeah, I don't but... like hypocrisy. <laughs> Rasputin wins that one. I couldn't. I mean, say- anyway, among us, hypocritical people, yes, hypocritical that's what was oaths. Yes, yeah. i So, uh here we go. They turned against him. This story, this story is so ridiculous. At Hermogen's residence, these guys ambushed him. Hermogen hurled accusations at oh. Rasputin while his associate Dmitri Kolyaba started screaming and grabbed Rasputin by the penis until Rasputin <laughs> Confessed his sins, Yeah, crying out, it's true. I believe Kolyaba had some sort of like developmental issues or uh. something. Um. So, but anyway, grabbed him by the penis. They told him to make a pilgrimage to the monastery at the caves at Kiev, but Rasputin went to Nicholas instead, who had Hermogen ordered into exile.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. It was a strange. the scene, reading it, I had to read over it like twice because I was like, "Is this real? Is this what I'm reading right now? This is ridiculous." Because <laughs> they basically it were is like, so bizarre. "They were trying to like hold him there. They wouldn't let him leave." Like, and he was like, "Guys,
1: by the penis, yeah,
0: by the penis."
1: <laughs> no, matter, no matter the most ridiculous way you can hold a man, it really in place. is. Uh, no matter the scandal Rasputin caused or the opposition he inspired from government or church officials, his role, as I'm saying, as Alexei's healer, always brought him back into the Romanov's good graces. After taking a carriage ride with his mother at their country estate in Spala, the Tsarevich Alexei developed a severe hemorrhage in the upper left thigh that nearly killed him. The boy was in the throes of agony for days, and eventually the monarchy put out a notice asking for the country's prayers. at pre-mentioned last episode. This is not something they wanted to talk about, so it was very rare that they would let the country know what's going on because this is a threat to the monarchy if if the uh, heir dies. Mm -hmm. But this was so serious that they let the country know uh, and asked them to pray. And Alexander wrote to Rasputin, and he replied, Fear nothing. The illness is not dangerous, as they are saying. See that the doctors do not bother him. On the 9th of October, seven days after the onset of the trauma, his temperature fell and the doctors concluded that the worst of it was over, with no medical explanation for his recovery to be found.
0: I've heard things about this. Oh. In terms of, like, what actually could explain it. Mm -hmm. Not within my reading, just, like, in in passing of, you know...
1: Uh, Outside research? Yeah.
0: um, One of the things is that... Basically, the common cure at the time was aspirin, but aspirin's a blood thinner. So keeping the doctor away, if it was common, like, if he was around enough, he could have known that, like, they would have been given him aspirin and he'd be like, just don't let the doctors go near him. Don't give him aspirin is basically what that equates to.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, that's something I've heard. I think that's the only thing that I've heard that makes any close to sense it could, but other than him just so, being Ras- a mystical healer
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's, I have this other idea which is kind of more on the mystical side of things Rasputin did it seems have a talent for charming and treating Alexei mm. while it may have been psychosomatic the That's scholar Furman is one of our, our two main sources for these episodes he mentions the countess Sophie Buxhoveden's observation that certain people functioned as Zagovarivat Krov, so this is a Russian term, zagovarivat krov, and that means blood charmer.
0: I've heard this too. I I think I've heard this.
1: Zagovarivat krov. There's a term you can impress your friends with later. Mm-hmm. So those who could talk with the blood, like a blood whisperer, blood charmer. Perhaps Rasputin, who was also described as a horse whisperer yeah. in his youth was one such charmer. In any case, Nicholas and Alexandra believed a miracle had happened for their son, and they attributed that miracle to Grigory Rasputin. Back in St. Petersburg, Rasputin saw the Romanovs once a month now. Initially, he had to be let in, but the palace commandant worried over the gossip provoked by Rasputin being seen standing at the gates and started having him admitted immediately. So one more time for the folks in the the cheap seats. Rasputin is a scandalous character. (laughs) So much so that you don't even want him to be seen out front of your door. Right. Finally, it wasn't any of Rasputin's sexual exploits or eccentricities or conflicts with the church that caused a rift with the Romanovs. But rather, and this is so bizarre, his pacifism. Yeah. Yeah. The Balkans' war broke out when Serbia, Greece, and Bulgaria invaded Turkey and Rasputin spoke to the newspapers urging the country to avoid war. Ultimately, Russia's participation in the First World War would weaken Nicholas's image in the public and his military sources, uh, resources enough to allow the communists to take over Russia. Um, so this is the famous story of how the communists took Russia. It, it was basically that Nicholas wore himself out. Yeah. Not him personally, but he, he wore out his army so Rasputin was not wrong when he urged Russia to stay out of foreign conflicts but Nicholas grew frustrated with Rasputin's anti-war politics and eventually expelled him from the capital mm-hmm. only to welcome him back again when Alexei briefly took ill yet again
0: <sighs> yep.
1: on the eve of World War I just after the assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand Alex- Alexandra telegrammed to Rasputin he stepped out of his house to reply, and a woman draped in a veil to conceal that she was without a nose stepped forward and stabbed him in the stomach with a 15-inch bone-handled Ish, dagger. Yeah. If that surprised any of you, I'll just repeat, a noseless woman has now stabbed Rasputin the day before World War I starts.
0: Wild. What a wild statement you just said.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Everything about this guy. Yeah. Rasputin's doctor, Vladimirov, uh, Vladimirov, performed the f- his first surgery on him by candlelight uh, and the second one the next morning, presumably by not candlelight, daylight. Yeah. He spent 46 days in the hospital and swore without proof that the monk Iliodor had conspired against him uh, because, you know, Iliodor had after all conspired against him before. Uh, and so in this case, he believed Iliador was responsible for this attack, in fact, the woman who attacked him, Kionaya Kutsmina Guseva, was a follower of Iliador's. Yep. So quite a coincidence there. She was captured by the crowd who swarmed around Rasputin when he was stabbed, and she swore that she had acted without Iliador's involvement, but on her salary of six rubles as a servant and a seamstress, she had managed to somehow pay her way from Yalta to St. Petersburg to Siberia. Suspiciously, Iliodor had fled to Norway right before the attack.
0: Iliadur sucks. <laughs> yeah,
1: there is no way yeah. he was not involved in that somehow. Not, at all. That's... not
0: a single way at all. Not, a, not even a titch of doubt. <laughs> not
1: a titch. Yeah, uh, if he had a good lawyer, he might have been able to get out of it. But yeah. uh, no, 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 not in the court of a call confessions. Yeah, Rasputin returned to St. Petersburg and moved into his seventh apartment. This one on Gorokhovaya Street. It was now May nineteen fourteen. The Tsar increased Rasputin's security after the attack, but this police force also served as spies, keeping tabs on the Starets. In August, Russia declared war on Germany the day after the Germans declared war on the Russians. Rasputin's pacifist stance and his lax attitude toward the friends he made, some of whom were German spies, made many Russians wonder whether he was secretly working for Russia's defeat. But that wasn't fair. no. He was a deeply patriotic man and worried constantly over the fate of the Russian army at the battlefront. Yeah. Nicholas initially had appointed his cousin, Nikolasha, uh, who was a popular figure with the Russian people, to lead the Russian war effort. But in May 1915, 100,000 Russian soldiers were killed and another 750,000 were captured. That's a million casualties, and uh, Nicholas. Oh, it's not a million; it's close to a million eight hundred fifty thousand. And Nicholas, but that's—I mean—that's still—that's within spitting distance of a million. Yeah. Think about that—a million people. Nicholas had to begin to consider how to replace his cousin after this event. I mean, World War One was brutal. I've said this, I think, earlier on the show. It was a brutal, brutal war. Horrible. The American Civil War, total casualties were about 450,000, 500,000 people. This war, I mean, here you have a single battle and a single campaign. We've got 100,000 Russian soldiers dead. I mean, it's the nerve gas. It's the advances in in weaponry. It's the barbed wire and the trenches. It was just a terrible, terrible conflict. He resolved that he himself, Nicholas that is, uh, should begin to consider, uh, uh, Nicholas II decided that he would become the supreme commander and delegate the actual military decision making to his very competent general, Michael Alexeyev. So he's going to go to the war front now, the Tsar himself. Not an unusual thing. Mm -hmm. This happened in the past all the time. However, he appointed his wife to lead the state in his absence, with Rasputin taking a prominent role in this new arrangement given his close ties to the Tsaritsa. And Alexandra, do you know about Alexandra? Um, Not a Russian.
0: Yeah, yeah, she's German.
1: She's German. So, come on, Nicholas. <laughs> you didn't what think are that one doing, doing, I man? know
0: it's because he loved and trusted his wife, but like... And she loved and trusted him, and they were trying to like be good to each other. but you are rulers.
1: <sighs> yeah, so it's not just Rasputin that's making Alexandra look bad. She herself has got some unfortunate uh, ties, uh, not not her fault, but it's yeah. just you know the way it played out. And Rasputin's military advice was not especially good, uh, but his concern with making sure the Russian people remained fed during the war by transporting goods from Siberia, was actually very useful. Russia's greatest maneuver under Nicholas, and perhaps during the whole war, was the Brusilov offensive against the Austrian army. They crushed the Austrians, who suffered 750,000 casualties and destroyed the Austrian army. But the Russians were also badly beaten, losing 1.4 million casualties, including a huge hit to the officer court. Now, casualties doesn't mean dead, but it does mean no longer able to fight. So a reasonable number of those guys were dead some were badly wounded some were captured but uh, oh my goodness it's it's two million people on both sides more than two million people this catastrophic loss of life was deeply detrimental to nicholas's reputation at home and the beginning of the end for the romanovs and imperial russia but before the Romanovs were shot in a dingy basement, Rasputin was assassinated in a series of events that have been obscured by legend and myth. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to say here, from a personal standpoint, I did. Rasputin's one of those names. Like, he's such a character that I heard about Rasputin, not in history class or anything, but as a middle school student. Yeah. And this is what I heard about, is that Rasputin was this, you know, Russian magician who they couldn't kill. He was a man they tried to kill over and over again, but he wouldn't die. Which... The rest of the story wasn't interested to middle school kids, I guess.
0: Which, the amount of truth in that is that he died eventually, but it was... They were just stupid about it, and brutal about it, and made sure it took a while.
1: It's a, it's a, it is. it's it is. I mean, it, it, the legend is not exactly true, but it, some of it is bizarrely right. on point here. It's yeah. such a bizarre series of events. All right, so let's get into the death of Rasputin. Now, if you think we're at the end of the episode here, you are sorely mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> we, are, we have a lot, a lot to talk about when it comes to how Rasputin died. Yeah, but but we we have now covered his political life reasonably well. We don't need to get all into all the ins and outs of, mm-hmm. of Romanov uh, geopolitics and stuff. Um, but,
0: we do. I at least have documentation of their family ice cream recipe, though. If anybody wants
1: it, <laughs> we got to get that on Instagram. We do. <laughs> we'll talk to Dan. So, <laughs> all right. So let's get into the death of Rasputin, Felix Yusupov initiated the plot to kill Rasputin. Does that sound right to you, yes, Yusupov? Yes,
0: Yusupov is his name, and he is abs- the most absurd little man.
1: <sighs> my God. Weird guy, so weird strange. guy. I mean, Rasputin is a weird guy. Yusupov is a weird guy. Yeah. Yusupov became heir to a very large fortune after his brother was shot during a duel. Yusupov felt guilty over his brother's death because he'd encouraged the affair with a married woman uh, that his brother had, that led the married woman's husband to challenge Yusupov's brother to a duel and kill him. So Yusupov was indirectly responsible for his brother's death. See how that worked? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Sort of works into his psychology. The Grand Duchess Ella Fedorovna reassured Yusupov that he was not to blame and that he should not feel guilty for his homosexuality. Yeah other key aspect of Yusupov's life. It's not a time when you can be gay, openly gay.
0: No, no.
1: Maria Rasputin claims that Yusupov was first introduced to her father so that Rasputin could help Yusupov with his lack of desire for his uh, beautiful wife, Mm -hmm. Irina. Maria says that during one of these sessions, Yusupov propositioned Rasputin who turned him down, spurring his anger toward the starrets? You want to add anything to that? It was the most affair?
0: awkward thing that I have read, and that's saying something in this book. It was very much like I took me a minute; I had to like reread it because I was like, "Wait, did he just proposition Rasputin? What just happened?" Because it was like Rasputin <laughs> just doing his usual thing, and then pop was like, "But like." what if you what if i what if i touch you and he was like no i don't i don't want this we're here to stop this right like you you want to love your wife not not do this right like that's what we're here for like rasputin was confused and was like please leave it was the most awkward encounter i it was so weird
1: So there is an alternate view from uh, our scholar, Furman. Furman (laughs) argues that Yusupov was, in fact, motivated by love of country. So here, Brie, I can let you out of this story. If you'd prefer not to believe it, you can choose not to believe it.
0: I would love to believe my beliefs on Yusupov because they are fabulous.
1: Oh, you want to kick? Okay, you're going to keep it. Yeah. So Furman says uh, that Yusupov's mother, Zenaida, had been expelled from the palace for speaking out against Rasputin to the empress. And her son came to believe after her that Rasputin was bad for Russia and had to be eliminated. So it's the same as what we said about Stolyupin mm-hmm. earlier, that, you know, this Yusupov was just, a, you know, a highly connected guy in the aristocracy, and he legitimately believed that there was a problem with Rasputin. He assembled a crew of conspirators, the Tsar's cousin Dmitry Pavlovich, uh, who some believed Nicholas intended to be his successor should Alexei die. Also, Sergei Sukhotin, a lieutenant in the Life Guards Regiment, who believed Rasputin and Alexandra were German spies. The Polish physician, Dr. Stanislaw latzo And Vladimir Porishkevich, who had gotten himself elected to the Duma in order to undermine it. The Duma being the democratically elected uh, government operating sort of like beside the monarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, So Purishkevich got himself elected because he hated it. Right. Sort of like when uh, these, these guys lately in American politics, we've got these people who are trying to get onto the boards of colleges so that they can pretty much ruin the college. (laughs) It's that kind of idea. (laughs) Um, So anyhow, that's a story for another day. Uh, (laughs) So Perishkovich believed that only the monarchy could legitimately rule Russia. So all of these guys are monarchists. All of these guys are under the belief that Rasputin is undermining the monarchy. Our scholar Furman agrees with Rasputin's daughter that Yusupov sought treatment with Rasputin, but doesn't specify for what. In Furman's version, Yusupov was only feigning his need for healing to ingratiate himself with Rasputin in order to eventually assassinate him.
0: Okay, so I think that it's a mix of the two. I think he definitely probably had a vague sense that what Rasputin was doing wasn't great, but I don't think, based on what I read and what I've, in general, about Yusupov, I, he doesn't seem like a type to have really cared that strongly about it because he kind of was living his own life. He was doing a lot of frivolous shit. Oh, sorry, he was being very frivolous. Um, uh, including I think you can say shit. I, can I we're, say we're shit? We're talking
1: about all kinds of weird sex stuff. That's true. Episode, I guess. So yeah. I guess
0: if we did say penis, I can say shit. Okay.
1: <laughs> penis <laughs> is anatomy. That's but yes, true. That's fine.
0: That's true. But I, I only
1: like... bleep the f word as a rule.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's fine then. Yeah. Um, but I, I do believe that. I think Yusupov went to Rasputin more not to actually be healed, but more for the intrigue of meeting the man, the myth and the legend that is Rasputin and actually getting a feel for him himself in more than one way, apparently. But I think after that encounter, and it seemed like he had had a couple of not great encounters with Rasputin that just kind of left a bad taste in his mouth. And he was like, well, let me, let me actually go into the politics of this and support this and, this will benefit me in the future.
1: So he may have had the idea kicking around in the back of his head, but these meetings were helping him come to a conclusion about it. Yeah. So the pair began enjoying Petrograd's nightlife together. That is to say, Yusupov, the assassin and Rasputin. The city of St. Petersburg had changed its name to reflect a more Slavic sound in the new spirit of nationalism brought on by the war. Petrograd that is. Rasputin felt that, well, I also want to say, this is also a little bit of tangent, but St. Petersburg, I mean, Peter the Great was such an Anglophile, a Europhile, Francophile, really, that uh, he wanted to give the city a a European sounding name. Mm -hmm. So it didn't have a Russian name, Petrograd, City of Peter, right? Something like that. town of peter something along those lines is is actually you know russian (laughs) so he just didn't care when he named it saint petersburg i mean look at the word saint petersburg berg is a right european that's what we call things right uh anyhow so back to rasputin rasputin felt that death was coming for him and warned nicholas ii that if he should die or if nicholas should desert him the Tsar would lose his son and his crown within six months. Whoa.
0: And you know what?
1: (laughs) Yeah, spoiler alert. But for himself, Rasputin was unconcerned with death, convinced that everything would happen according to God's plan no matter what he did. So in theory, Rasputin was not particularly cautious. Now this is what my middle school buddies were talking about. On the evening of Friday, December 16th, Yusupov invited Rasputin to his home at moika palace maria and her sister varvara actually hid rasputin's galoshes hoping to keep him from leaving but he found them and went anyway so i guess there was an air like a everyone was like a foul air like there was something in the air it was you know what i mean so
0: sad because the opening chapter in maria's book is basically her recalling like her father leaving and her knowing in her heart that he should not leave but he left anyway and she knew that was going to be the last time she saw her father
1: i'm open to that having some psychic ramifications i'm also open to the idea that maybe there was a lot of intrigue beginning to spin around rasputin at this time period at this moment in history like she maybe may have been picking up some cues from a lot of the people that he was circulating with yeah So Yusupov showed Rasputin into a room with a crystal crucifix in an ebony cabinet and a white bearskin rug. Remember that rug? The Polish doctor had prepared some cakes and wine, poisoning both of them with cyanide. So they weren't messing around here. Everything's poisoned. Rasputin first refused the cakes, but then he ate a few and he drank a couple of glasses of wine. So Yusupov was sitting there, expecting his guest to keel over at any moment. But Rasputin seemed completely unfazed by the poison. Can you imagine the tension?
0: It's, I Reading this, I was like, oh my god, this must have been excruciating.
1: Sitting there, watching this guy, waiting for him to die. There was a guitar in the room, and uh, Rasputin asked his host... To sing to him.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> each time Yusupov finished a song, he'd look to see if Rasputin had passed out and died. But each time, Rasputin would call out for another song. I sort of imagine Rasputin kind of like closing his eyes and leaning
0: back. Right. And then it's just like, <laughs> ah, yes. Uh, continue playing. I'm so uh, sorry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> another one, another one. Yeah. Exasperated, Yusupov left the room to meet with his team of conspirators. So I guess he finally throws the guitar down and storms out of the room. Mm -hmm. Dmitry Pavlovich, the Tsar's cousin, handed Yusupov a browning revolver. This'll get the job done. When Yusupov returned to the room, Rasputin was kneeling over the crucifix, examining it. Yusupov told him to pray his last and shot Rasputin in the chest. Rasputin fell onto the bearskin rug, seemingly dead. The conspirators stormed into the room and helped Yusupov get him off the rug before he stained it with his blood. How ridiculous! Oh my God! Yeah. If you're going to have a white bearskin rug, I guess they were going to poison it. But like, he could have like you yeah. know vomited or something. Right, Remove been... the rug.
0: also—it's wine. Like I feel like you could just spill the wine on your rug. Oh right. like, well, yeah, he could. Have,
1: yeah, he would have fallen over. Remove your white rug. From the room before you murder somebody in the room. This is advice for everybody.
0: Out of your murder rooms, thank you. No
1: white rugs in your murder. If you care about the white rug, if you don't care, fine. You can keep the white rug in the room. You're going to have to burn it or whatever. Just
0: more evidence.
1: (laughs) Remove the white (laughs) rug in advance if you're worried about it getting stained. The conspirator stormed into the room at this point. So he's been shot. He's on the rug. We're getting him off the rug. Porishkevich, the Duma monarchist, sat back and smoked a cigar while they considered how to dispose of Rasputin's galoshes and other effects. So once we've dispensed with the rug emergency, we're all just going to take a moment, chill out, see what we can do. Like what? Smoke a little bit. (laughs) I
0: I just, I don't get it.
1: Now, this is interesting. Yusupov, our, our primary assassin... He was disturbed. Rasputin had been removed, but he needed to see the body one more time. He felt something wasn't right. He felt something wasn't finished. He took the inert Rasputin by the shoulders and shook him. And suddenly Rasputin sprang to life, growling and foaming at the mouth and striking terror into Yusupov with his terrible glare. Rasputin this is this is very metal am i right
0: yeah no it it's absurdly metal
1: <laughs> absurdly metal this is if, when you when you write your first metal song listeners this is the the video that plays in the background
0: <laughs> yeah
1: your first death metal anthem Rasputin stumbled outside into the cold December air, staggering through the snow to get free of his would-be murderers and swearing to tell Alexandra everything. Parishkevich rushed after him with his pistol. His first two bullets missed Rasputin, but the third caught him in the back. Parishkevich then walked up to him and shot him square in the forehead, assuring Rasputin was dead. They wrapped his leg in his uh, legs in his own fur coat, unable to get it around his body, rolled his body in a blue curtain, tied him up, brought him to the Great Petrovsky Bridge, and tossed him into the icy water, hoping his corpse would float all the way to the Gulf of Finland, where <sighs> Sputin was 47 years old.
0: All right, Rob. Yeah? So, you want to know one of the, the... The most chilling detail of this entire... So, my my also version of events is a little bit more horrifying than that and the most chilling detail to me though regardless of any of that is so a part of this was that yusupov had said that they had people over in the room above and his wife was hosting people but they weren't it was just the conspirators' steps upstairs but very chillingly because this was the party music at the time In the room above, you could hear the song, Yankee Doodle Went to Town playing.
1: Oh, that's weird.
0: Yeah, because it was like the party music of the time, apparently.
1: (laughs) Isn't that a fun tune? Yeah. (laughs) Wow, that is eerie.
0: Yeah. and I don't know if you have any more comments on his death at this point.
1: (laughs) Well, do you want to say more? Because I can get into Maria's, some of her ideas. Yeah. Um, So Maria does make a few alterations to this version of the assassination. And Brie, you can weigh in with the details here. She claims that Yusupov sexually assaulted her father before shooting him in the head.
0: Yeah.
1: And that the conspirators castrated him. Yeah. However, the coroner reported no violence was done to Rasputin's genitals. So... Yeah. It also seems odd like from the story yes like they, they they had these like they just really wanted to kill him. Yeah. And get get rid of him. So pausing to do this feels I don't even know why you would do it.
0: There's um it it seems like the way that she had written it was that he really just would not die. Like they kept Almost botching things to just enough where it would not kill him is how it read um and they and the castration part comes with them beating him, which I could see if he's just like not if he's just, just getting up again. I could see that happening i I don't have any opinion on the castration part, but no, um. Kidding. There's also this bit that apparently, because of all of the sound and the gunshots, the police had come to investigate, but they were successfully turned away because they had one of the conspirators dress up as Rasputin and take the car like to his flat to throw like. They put off. on
1: the coat, right? Yeah, they put on his fur coat.
0: And um, from what I read, he died unfortunately of drowning.
1: Yeah, this is Maria's claim. Yeah. She claims that the bullet wound to the head. Didn't kill him. Yeah. He struggled with the ropes that tied his hands and died drowning in the river.
0: It's like such
1: do you, a, do you think that's possible? A fu- gunshot to the forehead though, Brie.
0: Well, if there's been cases where people have survived a bullet to the head. It's not entirely mm. impossible. It also, I think, depends on... It depends on really how the bullet entered, all of that stuff. And it also, I think, depends on... Sometimes bodies just don't want to die. The human body is a wild thing where there are certain times where I've read true crime cases where you just the entire time, unfortunately are pleading for the person to just die because it, they're going through something that the human body shouldn't be able to stand. And
1: the spirit won't leave.
0: Yeah. It's just the heart is just made to pump and it just keeps pumping until it literally cannot anymore. And it's, that's insane. It's uh, absolutely absurd. So It's plausible that he could have been not necessarily, like, of conscious self or anything. He probably would have been brain dead regardless. But he could have still been breathing when he hit the water and it drowned him.
1: That's horrifying. Yeah. It's a horrifying thought. It's
0: horrifying. I would hope that there was no consciousness left in him when that happened, like she thinks that there was. Because the quote that I have for her, like, and and from that is just, like, chilling. Like, it is...
1: I... Well, I kept it. I'll, I'm gonna. I'm gonna quote her now. Oh. Uh, maybe this is what you have. Yeah. Um, gone. Well, uh, this is more of her mourning her father. Mm-hmm. She, gone. She said, "Was the star? the strayed holy man, the fallen saint, my loving father. And with him went his God-given powers of healing and clairvoyance, employed solely for the benefit of his fellow men. Gone was Rasputin, and who was there left to pray for the unfortunate people he had loved so well? So Ugh. not really disturbing, but yeah. yeah, that's it's a nice little eulogy that she gives him in her book. Yeah. All right, so let's get to a bit of the aftermath here. Rasputin's body was recovered from the icy water, having not traveled far from the bridge that he was tossed over. The coroner, Dmitry Kosotorov, described Rasputin as being in good physical condition, and he could detect no trace of poison in his system. He was unable to identify the type of weapon or caliber of the bullets that shot him. Despite Nicholas II's affection for Rasputin and his desire to prosecute Rasputin's killers, public sentiment had turned so hard against the starats that there was little the Tsar could do about the assassins. So they all got off yeah. scot-free on this. Rather than transport... Well, the communists were going to come around and... Right, they were going to... Yeah, it's
0: yeah. all going go yeah. to go to hell anyway, but...
1: Rather than transport transport Rasputin's body back to Pokrovskoy, uh, they elected to bury him by the residence of the imperial family. This is really sad. Alexander did not invite Rasputin's daughters to the funeral. And the bitter cold drove the proceedings forward quickly so that the funeral, for one of the most reviled, sought-after, colorful, and powerful men in Russia, took only 15 minutes to finish. (sighs)
0: That's so sad.
1: so... This is the question, Bree, that we want to close with. Rasputin, misunderstood or rightfully uh, tarnished, called, uh, right, right, rightfully looked down on as uh, the man who, I don't know, ruined Russia? I, I'm, I'm not really sure. Rightfully looked on as, a, a, I guess, a scandalous and, and uh, a hypocritical lying you know, you know what I mean? Like a, yeah. a scam, a scam artist.
0: I think that he, to an extent, is misunderstood. There's some things that, you know, obviously we can't exactly account for. And it's a lot of he shit. He said, she said in certain situations, which unfortunately Russia at this time was, it was an anti Nicholas propaganda machine was kind of running and Rasputin was a big role in that. So there's evidence that there's a lot of lies that did come into play once they actually looked into it after the fact, um, and did interviews with people who would have had more of an unbiased opinion. And in the one document that you sent me, that was the report. But, um, Mm -hmm. I think that he was misunderstood. And because of that, he was the perfect scapegoat for a country that was falling apart already from the inside. Just, he just accelerated the process, um, unfortunately. And he had no intention to, he, he absolutely loved his country. Uh, And that's part of why that's one of the reasons that Nicholas liked him so much is that he was a true Russian patriot. He really loved his country and he was a peasant still loving his country, not resenting, the people that, you know, would take advantage of such a thing. So I don't know. It, it, it's it's hard to judge because he's been made into this figure that is supposed to be this, this lecherous um, fiend, basically, is what he's become. And Russia still propagates that because if they don't, then it shows the error in something in their history that, that was detrimental to them. But it would be made even worse if you know, if he was no longer that fiend. He's a scapegoat still to this day, based on it. Oh, that's that interesting. Read. Yeah.
1: So in Russian history, like if you if I was in a Russian grade school reading about the end of Imperial Russia, Rasputin is characterized as a villain.
0: He probably would be. I and mean, everything that I said and I read in that document, um, it they mentioned that you know it's propagated as he was a villain. I'm sure that they don't... if They give, like, a baseline, you know, thing that they say. There's a baseline thing that they probably say, and that's kind of, like, the common knowledge, unless you look more into it. But, and to countries outside of Russia, like, they, they won't give information out about Rasputin, for the most part. It's one of those things that... Not that they give much information out in the first place, but it's one of those things that they're, like the information we give you is the propaganda that we have been following since his existence since his role in the fall of the russian monarchy
1: yeah so maria is kind of like her writing these books is kind of a coup in a way to mm-hmm. to divulge what she knew about him the, the government you think over time has never wanted there to be much more talk about rescue. yeah
0: and there was a couple books that it I don't remember from the document, but there was a couple books that were mentioned that um, had been or attempted to be published but were halted because it wasn't as anti-Rasputin as they wanted. It it kind of shed a little bit more light on the honesty of the situation, specifically with, you know, the people already trying to overthrow for, you know, the more... um, um, Freemason built crap. Um, and you know, trying to not hold Russian Russian culture and values anymore is what a lot of it looked like. So they were like, oh, let's uh not let those things get published. And um, specifically, they really tried to halt that, it seemed like, in America. At least for a while, they really tried to, to not have anything that didn't, you know, feed the the machine be sent over to the US or be available to the US.
1: So, um, let's talk about miracle worker. Mm-hmm. The supernatural side of this. What is your take on that? Was Resputin a miracle worker? Uh,
0: I believe that he was doing something. I don't know if I can say he was a miracle worker. Because Miracle seems too big of a word for what I feel like what he, he was doing. Um, I think he definitely was a spiritual healer. healer. I, I don't doubt that he didn't have some sort of spiritual ability. Um, but as far as Miracle, I don't know if I would take it that far. I feel like he was also, for an uneducated peasant, was a very knowledgeable individual. Uh, he was very street smart aware. And I think combining that with his spiritual is nature and, and the things that he could do, because from a young age, he was doing these things before he would have gathered the the, the, the street smarts and the knowledge that he had by adulthood. He was doing things like it. So I feel like there's definitely something to his ability. And as he deteriorated mentally, his abilities just were gone by that point. By the time that he died, he was really just kind of like, he felt betrayed by God and by what he was trying to do for the country. So he stopped trying is basically what uh, Maria had said was that he had stopped trying. So I feel like it kind of tracks and flows that he was doing something what that is i don't know yeah. but it's something i have there's to believe there's so much he was doing weirdness something. yeah
1: yeah just so much weirdness i mean all the business with alexi the weird death yeah. you know the, the <laughs> things that you don't find in stories about other historical figures you know this right. being killed four or five times over all these instances of healing alexi these ta- tales of, you know, these intense pilgrimages. And, I mean, the man was certainly a spiritual seeker mm-hmm. and had a complex relationship with God. And I, I, I find it hard. I think from a scholarly standpoint, it is harder to argue that he was not engaged mm-hmm. in some kind of miracle working or healing than to argue that he was. There's just too much evidence that he was yeah. engaged in, in something. Uh, the argument counter it is really, you have to stretch yourself. You have to really go down this.
0: Yeah, it's a weird um, rabbit hole of trying it, to find ways to make it, things work when they just don't.
1: Yeah, you have to come up with complex explanations <laughs> to explain away the resputin phenomenon. Yeah. Or phenomena, I should say.
0: And, and um... Oh, oh, I had a thought. Oh, damn. <laughs>
1: about Uh, magic
0: (laughs) oh it's like clearly something especially in his death like something was backing him the human body does a lot but like to have even the will alone without something you know other supporting that will uh, it just doesn't i don't know
1: yeah and it re- I mean I guess to a certain extent in, in folklore and legend that that remains the most remarkable thing about him is the way he didn't die I mean as a right. middle school kid this is what I'm hearing about this yeah. is what you know some kid on the playground knows about Rasputin the Russian magician who wouldn't die
0: right also he never slept with the, the with um, Alexandra so shut up oh, about that, that. Yeah.
1: yeah that seems extremely unlikely yeah.
0: No, Alexandra and Nicholas loved each other to a fault. And that is part of why the country fell apart. So
1: yeah, that didn't always keep politics in the front of mind. Yeah. Um, I I want to talk a little bit about our sources in case any of you are interested in them. It's Joseph T. Furman's was the scholar that uh, we worked with uh, that I read. uh, That's Rasputin, the untold story. Uh, So if you want to get the sort of just the facts, ma'am, kind of interpretation of this, if you want to read Maria and get into even more weird stories about Rosebeard, then, (laughs) I mean, because there were things that I said, you know, no, this is too much, this is too far. Yeah, there was a
0: lot of things, and I was like, I'm so glad you didn't bring them up. Yeah,
1: (laughs) just because I, we, like I said at the beginning, we have to take Maria with a grain of salt, but if you want to get the straight, line from Maria uh you have My Father by Maria Rasputin and that book is generally better regarded by scholars and then there's Rasputin the man behind the myth where she she sort of just lets herself go or Rasputin it's also called Rasputin the man and the myth um, and that's where you get all the good stuff so yeah. <laughs> check them out if you would like to know more uh, than we were able to tell you about in these two episodes so we did give you a heck of a lot of Rasputin but if you're still hungry for more Rasputin uh, there you go. It's Joseph Furman's book and uh, Maria and Just look them up. And, and, and Maria, her, enjoy.
0: her, um, her that reading was actually very enjoyable. I I really liked reading it. It was it was a good read, regardless it of seemed you know, like a
1: wild ride. Yeah, it was,
0: it was, and it also <laughs> like it makes you feel things. It makes you one very heartbroken for her because the beginning and the end are basically a recounting of the before her father dies and the right after her father dies, but um. It makes you really... It opens up your brain also to some some concepts of Rasputin's that are like, oh, it's actually a pretty pretty cool idea. I never would have thought that he had that idea or he spoke about that, you know.
1: Yeah, you got excited about some of his spiritual principles. I did, principles. Yeah.
0: yeah. I did.
1: Well, you want to bring us on home?
0: Oh, uh, we... No. <laughs>
1: yeah, way. You're uh, not the only one to do that. <laughs> I... I hear James by? always does that. Yeah, there it is.
0: I hereby um, adjourn and declare closed this meeting of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors until such a time as we get together and do it
1: again. So this was just me and Bree today. Well, and yeah, like the other day. No yeah. more folks to thank. Uh, I am your Supreme Hierophant, Dr. Robert C. Thompson. Bree Literal is our metallurgic prophet who assisted with research for today's episode
0: bye guys i hope you enjoy Resputin as much as i do
1: should you choose to dig further mm. it is perfectly fine to feel like you've had enough Resputin. Yes. that's okay too it's also it's <laughs> also
0: true i hope you at least enjoy <laughs> this episode or the further the further readings if you do them
1: yeah yeah don't feel don't <laughs> feel pressured like you need to to just keep resputining on into the future you can by all means, move on.
0: Sometimes you need a break from him. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so speaking of which, uh, our next episode is going to be a fun one. Uh, uh, this is a lady who was recommended to me, a uh, turn-of-the-century person, not too far, just a little bit before Rasputin's time period, uh, a woman who wrote sex manuals for married couples uh, and believed that she herself was married to a ghost. I'm talking about idocratic.
0: Yeah. Oh, sorry. I got a coming up next <laughs> uh,
1: next time here on a call confessions.